This podcast is an audio extract from the HOA Coach YouTube channel episode entitled Adventures in Rio Crossing My First Few Months. Check out the HOA Coach YouTube channel for more details and to view the visual information referred to in the episode. Now let's get started. Hello friends and neighbors, Ray Harwood here, your HOA coach. This episode of Adventures in Rio Crossing is about my first month or two living in the community, my first exposure to the HOA, and how the annual meeting and elections went down, or you might say, how they went downhill. Let's get started. Okay, I'm going to talk about my first experience with an HOA ever. I had never been in an HOA before. I'd owned a home or two in a couple of places. Um, Never an HOA before. So what happened the first couple of months after I moved in? Now, I want to start off first by saying this is my recollection and my opinion of what happened. And it was nearly four years ago, so I can't swear by every detail. But I'm not making anything up here. It's all how I think it went down. Where I have some actual documentation, I'll put it up on the screen here for you to see. Now we bought the house in spring of 2016 and we had a few renovations to do to it. And we also had a one year lease that was up in August. So we were not in a hurry to move in. Had some things done to the bathroom and a couple of things done to the kitchen um, and some painting done. And then we moved in mid to late August. During that time, I had received information in the mail about the upcoming annual meeting, and I had received my ballot, and basically, I was curious about all this HOA stuff, but it wasn't until after we moved in and the doorbell rang on a Sunday in September that I really got very interested in the HOA. You see, one of the board candidates was going door-to-door asking for people to attend the annual meeting to express their opinion and to vote for her and some of her friends that wanted to be on the board. She said that she and the others were, according to her, very upset at the way the association had been run, how bad the common area landscaping had become over the last couple of years, and how that a few people who had been in power very long seemed to run the association unchecked and they wanted to make changes to the HOA. Now, as a new owner in the community, I had no idea at the time anyway, what the common areas looked like in terms of landscaping over the previous years. Rio Crossing was developed in the mid 2000s, 2004, 2005 timeframe, before the real estate mortgage lending crash and all of that. Now, back then, developers were putting in lush landscapes and you know nice things to attract people in and they were selling homes for big bucks because people could get those loans but let's get back to september of 2016. the meeting venue was a cabela's sporting goods store about six miles away a large meeting room that they had upstairs now there weren't many good meeting rooms really nearby the community. It's an ongoing problem I'll talk about more in future episodes of Adventures in Rio Crossing. When I arrived, I was surprised at the number of people present. I had looked at some of the historical meeting minutes. I had looked at a number of meeting documents and historical documents that I could find online. 
I saw that it looked like there were no annual meetings with a quorum present for as far back as I could find documents, which was all the way back to 2008. So the fact that this meeting was well attended was a big surprise to me and to most people there. Now, since this was an election, I want to talk about the ballot. I'm going to mention first names so you can follow along with who the players are. They're going to play out throughout this entire history of Adventures in Rio Crossing. So first there was Sarah. She was the person that came to my home earlier in the month and introduced herself and invited us to come to the annual meeting. There was Matt. He was another new candidate for the board. There was Julia, who had been on the board for many years. And there was Lori, who had also been on the board for many years, but apparently had resigned back in December or January uh, to take some time off. And I don't understand all of the details behind that. But for a time then, there were only two people on the board. More about that in a second. There were also places for write-in candidates on the ballots, and I didn't really know anybody in the community, so I had no reason to write any names in. But I did vote for the four people on the ballot, and that was Sarah, Matt, Julia, and Lori. So I presented my ballot to someone from the management company, and I went on in. And I recognized Sarah, the person who had come around door to door, but having lived in the community less than a month, I really didn't know anybody else. Nobody other than Sarah had bothered to come by and knock on the door and introduce themselves. And I was hoping to get to know some of my neighbors at the meeting. Just before the meeting got started, someone asked for volunteers to help tally the ballots. And since there were no eager hands going up, I decided to volunteer person taking charge of the tally said is there anybody else and one other hand went up and and they said okay you know we can make do with two volunteers the other volunteer's name was Ida and we were escorted over to the foyer where a couple of tables were set up and we began the process of tallying the ballots there someone from the management company was reviewing each ballot as they took them out of the envelope some of these were mailed in so they were in envelopes some were handed in in an envelope and some were handed in just folded up. Once she validated that you know, it appeared that the vote actually came from someone in the community and there were a couple of ballots tossed out because they didn't have valid signatures on them for whatever reason, I didn't get to see those. The ballot was handed to Ida who marked down her tally sheet and then Ida passed it to me and I marked down my tally sheet. There was one person's name that came up on several ballots as a write-in. Her name was Carissa. I later learned that she had been on the board for the last year or so, and many people liked her and wanted to see her back on the board, so she was a good write-in candidate. There was one write-in person who only got one vote. Her name was Elise. And so we marked down the ballots, and between Sarah and Julia and Matt and Lori and Carissa and Elise, these were six candidates who received somewhere between 30-something and one vote. And you know, I should mention here that our bylaws say that there has to be an odd number of board members. The number has to be between three and nine, and that the board can set the number of board members. Now, remember I mentioned before that for a time there were only two board members and apparently, you know, the rumor has it and I heard someone say, you know, yeah, we had other volunteers, but they weren't accepted for whatever reason. I wasn't there and I don't know. And the meeting minutes don't really describe any of that. 
since before this election, there were only two board members. My assumption is that the number of designated board members was three. Back to the September 2016 ballot tally. I'm not sure who made the decision. Someone did. I'm just not sure who and under what authority. But someone made the decision that everybody who got votes would be on the board. So far, that would be the two candidates with many years of experience, Lori and Julia. The two new candidates on the ballot, Sarah and Matt. The two write-in candidates, Carissa and Elise. And then that was only six board members. We either had to knock it down to five or raise it up to seven. And a decision was made somewhere and an announcement was made that they were looking for volunteers for a seventh board member. So the elections were done and I went back into the meeting and the rest of the meeting seemed kind of tense. I had heard some voices raised while I was out helping tally the ballots, but I wasn't sure what the fuss was all about. When I joined the meeting, the overhead projector had pictures of trees and bushes from around the community's common areas. And this sort of jived with what I'd heard about the landscaping going downhill. I couldn't really tell at the time who was arguing which point, but eventually it seemed like everyone just sort of gave up arguing and the meeting was somehow magically over and people started to leave. Now, I can't remember how I learned of the special board meeting that took place two Saturdays after the election, but given the drama at the meeting and the rather curious circumstances of how the number of board seats magically expanded to include everyone that got a vote, I knew that I wanted to keep an eye on things and go attend these meetings. So the special board meeting was held at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning in late September in the community's big Greenbelt Park area. It was obvious to me from the start that there was an us versus them kind of rift going along with what I casually began to call the gang of five versus the two long-termers. Julia and Lori had a long-term history on the board with an occasional member or two who volunteered and sort of kept the board number up to three, but few of them actually lasted very long, it seemed. The other five included Sarah and Matt, Carissa and Elise, and the one volunteer who was appointed at the beginning of the special meeting, it was Ida, my co-tallier of ballots from the meeting. The first order of business, as required by our bylaws, was the election of officers. Now, just to make the process clear, and, and I don't know of any HOA that does not work this way, the members of the association elect the board of directors it just becomes a pool of a board of directors. There were six people, now seven. And, you know, that's the duty and the responsibility of the members to elect the board of directors. Then the board of directors elects or appoints the officers of the association. Now, this is one of my pet peeves. They are officers of the association. I hate it whenever I'm in a meeting with other HOAs doing some training or whatever, and I've heard it from management companies and I've heard it from HOA attorneys, and they'll refer to the person as the president of the board. There is no such thing as president of the board. The person is president of the association. There's a chairman of the board and that chairperson of the board is typically 
automatically the president of the association or vice versa. But the officers are officers of the association. They represent the association. The board members are supposed to basically provide the high level governance to the rest of the association and to the officers. We'll talk more about that in a future video on the HOA Coach channel. Now, typically there are four officers. There's a president, there's a vice president, there's a secretary and a treasurer. In a very large community with a large HOA and many, many members, you may have an additional vice president, one for training or recreation or something else. Um, but in most of the smaller HOAs, you at least have a president, a vice president, a secretary, and a treasurer. So here's how the election of officers went down. Sarah was elected president. Should be no surprise to you. Matt was elected vice president. Carissa was elected secretary. And Elise was elected treasurer. Some of you might say that the elections look like maybe they were kind of all worked out in advance, and maybe they were, it's hard to tell. Yes, it's interesting that four of the gang of five ended up being officers. To me, it seems in line with the sentiment that new people think the old guard hasn't done a good job and we wanna make changes and put new people in place. So I'm gonna wrap up this summary of the first month or two of my HOA life. What should you take away from all of this? Here's a few points. Number one, the bylaws are rules that should be followed. The bylaws say that you should have between three and nine board members. It was obvious from the historical meeting minutes that for a significant period of time, there were only two board members. It shouldn't have happened. Number two, the bylaws are rules that should be followed. Wait, didn't I say that earlier? Yes, I did. Only the board can change the number of board members. And if three was a designated number prior to the annual meeting, in spite of there only being two active, the only way the number could be officially changed to seven is during an official board meeting. And I don't believe that happened. There's no record of the number being changed by the board from three to five or seven. It just happened. Here's the third item for you. You need to attend the annual member meeting. If you can't attend everyone, and it's just one meeting a year, if you can't attend everyone, you should at least attend the first one after you move in. You need to go see who's running the board. You need to see what's going on. You need to meet some of your neighbors. You need to figure out, do you need to get involved? Can you get involved? Go to the annual meetings as often as your schedule permits. I highly recommend that you go to one or more board meetings throughout the year. Go to as many as you can go to. And for those that you are not able to go to, find the meeting minutes. If your association does not post the meeting minutes for you to readily read, you need to get on them and tell them that those meeting minutes need to be posted so that the members can see them. You have a requirement for open meetings. And in my view, the meeting minutes need to be put out there for all of the association members to read. You need to read those. If there's an audio or a video of your meeting, you need to listen or watch that and see what kind of business is transacted 
by your board? Is it in your best interest? Is it in the community's best interest? The last thing you want to find out is that it's in the board members' best interests. It's not the way a board's supposed to be run. There's a thing called fiduciary duty that is part of being a board member and an officer. And fiduciary duty basically means you don't run the association for your benefit. You run the association for the benefit of the association and all of the members. Now, I think after this whole COVID-19 crisis, many boards who have had to meet electronically online using virtual meetings, Zoom or GoToMeeting or WebEx or something like that, I think many boards will continue to meet this way. And from my perspective, that's a good thing for owners. You don't actually have to physically, you know, get all dressed up and drive to wherever the meeting location is going to be in order to attend the meeting. You should be able to get the dial-up information and attend the meeting. Now, there's certain protocols involved when homeowners are at the meetings. It's not your meeting. It's a board meeting, but you should be invited to participate at certain points in time. And at the very least, you need to be there on occasion to observe and see what's going on. Now, my last point really is a recommendation for you. If you have not read your governing documents yet, by all means, you need to get a copy of your CCNRs. That's the Conditions, Covenants, and Restrictions. You need to get the bylaws and any association rules, and you need to get your association's policies. Now, this is not something you can breeze through in one night, I guarantee you. These are going to be fairly long documents. I've seen many CCNRs that are in the 50 to 60, 70 page range. Many of them in most associations, I think, more in the 25 to 30 page range. And some of that is just definitions. And don't skip over the definitions part because that's important. There's an index and you know some formatting and that sort of stuff. You need to read your CCNRs. You need to read your bylaws. The bylaws are a little less technical, but they do talk about the board members, the officers, and a variety of things that are important to you. There should also be a rules document. It might be architectural rules. It might be association rules, but there's a document that typically has things relating to both architectural and non-architectural rules for the association. You need to be very familiar with that as well, especially if you're going to do any construction or modification to the outside of your home. There are likely details in there that you need to be aware of. You should also read and be very familiar with your association's policies. There are probably two, and there may be more. There may be many more, depending on the size and the governance approach by your board. There is probably a collections policy that says, what are we going to do if someone does not pay their assessments or does not pay their fines? You should be familiar with that, even if you're someone who just always pays on time. This is a very good indicator of how your association treats its members. Some of the associations that I've seen in their collections policy just take a brutal approach to people that do not pay. Others have a, you know, let's find out what happened and is there an issue and make a payment arrangement and see what we can do and take our time before we get down to the foreclosure path. But some of them 
I don't know. You should know. The second policy you should be familiar with is your violations and fines policy. What happens when you leave your garbage can out by the street for too long? Or what happens if you park your RV on the street? Or what happens if roof tiles fall off of your house and you don't take care of them for months? You know, all of these things typically will generate a violation notice of some sort. And again, reading this will tell you a lot about how your association handles, takes care of, abuses, I don't know, whatever term comes to mind after you read them, how they take care of your community. Some of them are just brutal. Some of them are a little too lax. Uh, you should read them, know what the rules are, and what the fines are, and how those fines are levied. There's a third policy that you should ask about. You're going to ask for policies, and let's say you get a collections policy and a violation and fines policy. You should ask, hey, where's the association's document retention policy? And I guarantee you, most HOAs don't have one. And it's why most HOAs don't have all of the corporate documents on hand that they should have readily accessible. You should be able to ask for copies of meeting minutes all the way back to the beginning of time. Those meeting minutes are corporate records and should be kept by your association forever. You should have insurance certificates, um, information about ballots, uh, previous elections, those sorts of things. If you do not have a document retention policy, in your association, you should start to talk to the association leadership, the board members and the officers and the management company and say, hey, we should put together a document retention policy and make sure that we have all of our documents available. Okay, so that wraps it up for this edition of Adventures in Rio Crossing. The next episode will cover how I did a little background checking on the new complement of board members and how I discovered that one person who got on the board wasn't even eligible to be on the board. It's pretty interesting. Stay tuned for the next episode soon. Bye-bye.